Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the ITAM Review Podcast. I'm your host, Rich Gibbons, and joining me today is ServiceNow's Kieran Dean, here to talk with me about all manner of awesome ITAM topics. So I think most of you know who I am by now. Um, But Kieran, if you could give us an introduction to to who you are and what you do at ServiceNow, that'd be awesome. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Rich. Um, So yeah, I'm Kieran Dean. I'm a solution consultant at ServiceNow. Uh, I focus on ServiceNow's IT asset management products area which is where our hardware asset management and software asset management products sit. Uh, So I've been with ServiceNow for just over two years. I joined in April 2018. Ah, nice. So so yeah, just into your your past the second year anniversary. So uh, belated congratulations on that. Thank Um, you. So so yeah, so thanks for joining us. I mean, your your background, solutions architect kind of thing, sounds like it, you know it will will fit in with this perfectly. Um, so I've got a range of of topics, some of them uh, sort of industry topics, some of them more service now related for, for us to talk through. Um, I think the first one it would be it would be remiss for me not to ask how COVID nineteen uh, has impacted. You know, you and service now. I guess both from a internal perspective, but also maybe from a you know a product or, or customer perspective as well. Yeah, sure, I agree. Um, it's probably a logical place to start, given given kind of everything that's been going on for the past few months. So, there has certainly been an impact um, from the perspective of me going out and talking to service now customers about software asset management um, we've obviously um, we've seen a a huge shift um, in terms of the the disruptive impact that COVID has had uh, on most of our um, and and probably in in, in a few different areas I mean the obvious ones are you know organizations have, have spent the last few months pretty much scrambling to make sure their their workforce is able to be productive working from home um so that's you know whether that's by investing in very quickly in equipment, in hardware, to ensure that people can work productively from home, um, or more often investing in software to make sure that customers, uh, sorry, end users can be productive from home. So, you know, uh, we're seeing a huge, you know, sudden sharp increase in cloud spend in particular um, in March, April, May of, of this year. Um, so yeah, it, it, there's been a significant impact, and I'm sure we'll continue to to, to to learn about the impact of COVID. But it has it cha- it's changed or put into sharp focus. I think some of the conversations we've been having to customers about IT asset management. Definitely, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think yeah, we've seen it with our conferences. You know, we had our, our wisdom conference in June. Uh, the questions we were seeing there and and in in other places were things that people were doing you know have been magnified equally things that people weren't doing 
have, have been magnified so it's become more obvious and you know we'll touch on some of these a little bit later during the during this podcast but i, I definitely think um you know, some of the the things that happen now will dictate how companies you know, move through the next two or three years in terms of asset management and and like like you say cloud you know definitely being being up there with one of the main things for people to to take from this whole you know thing that has been 2020 so far yeah i agree i think it will have an impact on on how people are working in in, in coming months and, and probably years but you know the, these i guess these themes that we've seen emerging like employees working from home increased spend in cloud um things like increased audit activity which i think we're all probably anticipating anecdotally will will start to happen you know because of the downturn none of these concepts are really new to any sam team right these, these are things that have been you know have been trending for for recent years um but probably what is new is the fact that it's just a, a very sudden sharp focus because it's really COVID has acted as a catalyst and adjusted the timescales for customers investing, moving to cloud, working from home, um, you know, responding to audits and things like that. So, yeah, I think we're, we're going to fill this, uh, fill this for, for some time to come. 100%. Yeah, you know, it, it's a lot of work for, for ITAM at the moment, but I think it's, uh, it's a great opportunity for ITAM to uh, you know, show what they can do uh, and, and build their internal profile, etc., uh, and kind of come out of this stronger. Um, so, so yeah, you know, silver linings, etc. Um, so, I suppose the other thing that's even more topical than uh, COVID nineteen is Gartner Magic Quadrant, which came out uh, ju- just a few days ago b- before we recorded this. And I, I believe ServiceNow are, are quite happy with, um, with, with how, how they've been represented in there. Um, so are you able to share any kind of thoughts on, um, on the Magic Quadrant from your perspective? Yeah, sure. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, speaking, I can't speak for the whole of service now, but I'm sure <laughs> the vast majority of my colleagues who I've spoken to certainly, yeah, we're very happy. So um, we service now in the Gartner Magic Quadrant for 2020, software asset management is in the leaders quadrant, which is fantastic. Uh, particularly when you consider, you know, we, we launched Sam Professional, um, which is the product that obviously Gartner assessed. We launched Sam Professional in July 2017. So um, pretty much to the day, we are now three years in the market. So I think it's a great achievement to be in the leader quadrant with such a relatively um, short amount of time in the market compared to, of course, some of the other some of the other um, sound tools that, that that Gartner assessed. So yeah, we're, we're delighted, and and perhaps you know, obviously the, the placement in the leader quadrant is fantastic, but this is now the second quadrant we featured in. So Gartner themselves have only actually done three. SAM Magic Quadrants. Strangely, you could say there was no SAM Magic Quadrant until 2018 uh, when Gartner launched the first one. ServiceNow didn't feature on the 2018 Magic Quadrant because very simply we weren't in the marketplace when the when the when the assessment began um, and didn't have you know the restaurant number of customers and things like that. So we didn't feature at all on 2018. In 2019 we debuted um, in the Gartner Quadrant in the visionary 
section. So that was our first kind of entry, if you like, onto the Magic Quadrant was in the Visionary, which we were delighted with. That assessment was done on the London release of ServiceNow. And so for anybody not familiar, we name, ServiceNow names its releases after major cities alphabetically. So when we launched in July 2017, that was Jakarta. Uh, in Q1 2018, we had Kingston. In Q3 2018, we had London. So the, the 2019 Magic Quadrant was based on the London release, which effectively was Sampro version 3. Um, so since London, we've had Madrid, New York, and Orlando, which is the current release. And that's what we've been assessed on for 2020. So just three releases later, in fact. So to already be in the leader quadrant after just three releases since, um, since London is, is a fantastic achievement. And it means we're trending upwards and trending to the right so we've seen improvement on both axes so Gartner's completeness of vision which is the horizontal axis and then the ability to execute the vertical axis we've seen service now go up and to the right so improvement in both areas and i think uh, i well i haven't looked at the whole comparison of every other product in there but i think our trajectory up and to the right is is certainly something we're very happy with awesome yeah up and to the right that's uh that's what you want in, in the magic quadrant um, absolutely so so yeah i mean it's interesting i hadn't really considered the, the sort of relatively short time span um so so that you know that, that's really interesting to see and i and i think some of the things that we're, we're going to talk about um in, in today's episodes i think will, will be some of the reasons that you've uh, you've made that, that that transition up into the the, the top right quadrant um so it, it's interesting to see uh, and i guess you know for for customers who you know came to service now quite early on you know it, it must, must be good for them to see you know that they've uh, they've made a good good decision um you know and that you're know, onwards and upwards um so it, it's in, it's very interesting I, I think to see i think you know for, for the industry as a whole um you know the, the more suppliers and vendors that there are doing great things you know it, it's good for the industry overall you know it, it pushes other people to, to to improve and add features and do different things so um so i think you know obviously good for service now and and your customers but i think it, you know in a way it's good for everyone no i agree with you i think it, yeah in any market if you've got multiple um you know vendors offering good solutions then that that benefits customers so yeah I, I i agree with you of course um so so a question which i've never thought of before but when when you were going through the the naming convention it, it struck me why do you know why they didn't start with the letter a we uh we did um it's just that sam professional wasn't in the, oh, in, in the original you. And now you're going to ask me what the letter A was, and I'm trying to delay my answer as I'm trying to recall. It was before I joined the organization. Uh, I think it was Aspen. I think it was Aspen. I'm sure somebody will correct me if it's wrong. And I don't remember all that. I think it was Aspen, Berlin, Calgary, Dublin, Eureka, Fiji. I'm on a roll now. Um, and it kind of went off. But Sam Pro, that, we launched Sam Pro in Jakarta. I see. I'm with you. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and don't ask me what we'll do when we get past that. 
I don't know. <laughs> wow, the, the, these are the big questions. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can imagine in a, you know, we, we did a, an ITAM review, like sort of online pub quiz a little while ago. And I, I can imagine in a future one that we, we're going to have a question, which is, you know, name the, the, the service now cities. Um, you know, if you can get them all in the right order, um, you know, you get an extra prize. We should uh, we should remember that. That will come in handy one day. Um, but but yeah, so so yeah, magic quadrant. Uh, you know, I think that that's great news. Um, it's always interesting to see, you know, who's in, who's not, who's moved where. Um, I, I know, you know, we've got some uh, some analysis of, of that coming up soon as well. Um, but that segues us quite nicely into looking maybe at some of the overall themes that the service now you know are working into your your product line um you know which i think are in many ways kind of reflective and indicative of you know the industry um and you know the first i guess we should say some of these things that we're going to talk about are in the current orlando release and I know some of the things are more in the the next Paris release, um, but the I think the the first one I wanted to to touch on was your inclusion of engineering software, so things like Bentley, Autodesk, uh, Siemens, Dassault, etc. Um, be, because I've recently started talking more about engineering software it, it's it's to me uh, a little bit of a uh, a forgotten area maybe uh, of itam you know it's it's a bit different it's a bit maybe a bit more complicated in terms of how it all works but i think with 2020 making cost reduction even more important I, i've kind of thought to myself do you know what if you need to find more savings than you'd planned if you've not looked at engineering software before, that is a it's a kind of new revenue stream almost in, in terms of savings. So so to see um, you know for, for ServiceNow to have have the engineering capabilities too, that that was interesting to me personally. Um, so so if you're able to share you know anything around you know why ServiceNow are looking at engineering. And, and you know, thoughts thoughts on the engineering side of things. You know, anything around there would be interesting. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, yeah. So you're quite right. We we introduced our engineering license management capability in, in Orlando, which was is the current release of of, of ServiceNow. Although Paris is is just around the corner, literally. Um, so in March 2020 is when Orlando shipped, and that's where the engineering license management capability was was introduced. So. Um, I guess I'll speak more broadly and then I'll focus on, on that. Obviously, when we launched back in July 2017, our, our objective is to help customers manage their IT assets. Um, so for SamPro, that's their software assets, irrespective of where they're deployed, right? So irrespective of if we're talking about on-premises software that's running on an end-user device or, or server-based software that's running on an on-premise data center or software that's that's being consumed via a cloud delivery model like software as a service or, or software that's deployed on infrastructure or platform as a service. So the objective is to help customers manage their software across all estates, all platforms. Um, but obviously we didn't 
have every capability in our product in, in the first release. So we've been introducing capabilities to, to broaden that, that, that visibility, if you like, with every release. So in New York, for example, we introduced our SaaS license management capability. So adding engineering in Orlando is, is, is kind of a, you know, and it was an important area for us. Uh, the, the why, I guess, is because, as you say, it's, it represents a significant amount of spend, not for every customer. Um, you typically see more spend in this type of licensing in in construction companies or, or engineering obviously engineering companies um, but basically what we're talking about here is software that's licensed in a concurrent fashion um, so that metric is is often seen in, in engineering type like CAD software simulation software and so on uh, you also see it in, in some financial simulation software as well um, and the challenge for customers is, is really different to traditional if you like perpetual licenses because with 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 concurrent licenses it's not really a compliance problem because the way concurrent licenses work is you buy let's say 50 licenses for your engineering application and that means 50 people can use the software at once and if a 51st person tries they'll be issued a denial and they basically have to wait until somebody stops using the software, checks that license back in, and that frees up a license for the, for the next person. So you can't really go out of compliance with that model. It's not possible to, 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 be out, you know, to, to use too much. So it's really a question about optimization because if you own 50 concurrent licenses, but only 40 people are using that software at once, then you've got 10 expensive licenses too many. On the other hand, if you've got 50 concurrent licenses and you've got 60 people who need to use that application to be productive on a project, then you've got 10 very expensive resources, people who can't be productive on that project. So it's really about optimization rather than compliance. Um, so we obviously wanted to help our customers with that. And, and the other element to this is that often that budget, the budget for the engineering applications doesn't always sit within the, the kind of same budget as as the perpetual or, or cloud licenses sits. Um, so I agree with you. It, it, it does represent an area of um, untapped potential when it comes to cost saving for customers due to the high numbers involved in these in, in terms of the cost of these licenses and also due to the fact that traditionally it's, it's not managed, not always managed by the SAM team and therefore has a tendency to, to kind of spiral out of control. <laughs> yeah, that, that spiraling out of control ties in with... Uh, what, what I've heard from uh, from other people certainly, um, and and I think you know the, the engineering thing it ties in with with this idea as we were saying earlier about ITAM making itself more more visible, more integral, uh, you know, aligning itself with um, business objectives. So, so you know, identifying a, a new way of of reducing a budget, you know, even if it doesn't necessarily come out of you know your budget you know if you're helping another part of the business save money you know that that's a, a positive thing for um for, for itam um yeah I, do... I fully agree yeah i think it's I, I think you're right i think what we've seen certainly i've been involved in in it asset management now for, for several years probably just over 20 years now so uh, you know giving my age away there what but... you were like four or five when you started <laughs> yes exactly i started i was on one of those early programs <laughs> thank you for that um but yeah i think you know certainly you could say 10 15 years ago the focus or the main focus for software asset management was around 
you know, managing compliance, right? mitigating against compliance risk. Um, and I think that has shifted over certainly recent years to be more about understanding consumption and optimizing rather than just focusing on compliance. I think engineering apps is a classic example where it's, it's not so much about compliance and is about optimization as it is with, with, with cloud spend as well. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder with engineering as well, you know, the, the current situation, you know, lots of projects have been put on hold, um, you know, building projects, etc. You know, it, it may well be that that optimization is, is more important than ever. You know, if you if you did have, you know, let's say, you know, like you said, 60, 60 people doing something, but actually now, you know, only only 41 of them are engaged in active projects you know maybe you can um, you can do something to reduce your upcoming renewal or, or something like that so so I, I certainly think anything that can help people look at engineering software get the you know get an understanding of, of what's there and, and how to manage it is you know now now seems like a perfect time for that yeah i think so and i you know and i think that statement's not just true for not only true rather for engineering applications i think i've seen a few financial studies recently published um i think there was one from um kpmg recently which talked about um interviewing you know cios or procurement managers about their predicted spend over you know the next few months and, and years and the vast majority are agree in agreement that, that that you know in certain areas the spend that there are targets to reduce spend. Um, so I do think we are going to see a reduction in spend, of course, across not just engineering apps but but kind of a lot of software, uh, whether that's perpetual or engineering uh, concurrently licensed software. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with that, and of course that could lead, as as it has done historically in the past, when there's a uh, when there's a decrease in spend with publishers, that, that tends to be uh, tends to be followed by an increase in, in shall we say, audit activity. Um, so I thought this is going to be front and centre, as we say, for, for for several months to come. Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, I don't even know, you know, with the engineering vendors, you know, if they decided to audit, you know, I suppose you know, people listening, you know, ask yourselves the question, you know, would that audit letter would it come to you would it find its way to you or would it you know would it be sent to and dealt with by the engineering department who you know maybe they don't have the the years of audit defense experience that the itam do um so so you know another reason that that itam helping engineering now you know perhaps perhaps more important than ever um so so yeah, i mean i think yeah the engineering side it, obviously, as you said, it doesn't impact every customer. So if you know, if, if you as a business, if you don't don't use these vendors, you know, um, fair enough. But I, I think even for most organisations, there's probably more companies use this software than than realise they do. Maybe. Um, so I, I would definitely say, you know, find out what you can internally. What what software do we use? Um, and if you use it, it's a great opportunity to try and uh, try and reduce that cost. Um, yeah. And I guess in in a similar fashion, SaaS licensing, you know, software as a service licensing, is a similar message where um, you know now you know now is the time where probably more 
there's been a bigger increase in SaaS in a, in the last few months than uh, you know in a long time because of the remote working. Um, equally, it's a time where companies are, are most sensitive to wasted spend. So if you know if what almost any kind of organisation uses SaaS to some some degree or another. Um, so so what's the the, the kind of service now take on SaaS spend and management and that kind of thing. Yeah, so I think um, you know, as 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 I said at the start, uh, organisations generally are investing more in cloud today than they are in in their, shall we say, historic you know on premises software, and 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 the the largest um, percentage or, or area of that is in SaaS. Uh, and the reasons why are obvious, right? It's it's very quick uh, time to value. If you look at SaaS, you don't have to worry about the infrastructure that software runs on. You can be up and running very quickly. So we, we all can understand the reasons why SaaS is, you know, the increase in, in spend is there. Um, but the flip side to that is, is of course, is that spend necessarily going through central procurement, and and is that spend on the radar of the SAM team or the ITAM team? Right, because if I've got a department somewhere with a some somebody has a company credit card and they sign up to a file sharing SaaS application, then that might be invisible to the procurement team and certainly the SAM team. Right. Um, so so when it comes to SaaS, there's there's a few different challenges for customers. One is simply just discovering it, identifying it. How do you discover something that is uh, there is no local footprint for. I'm not going to go into uh, an organization. I'm not going to find a ServiceNow.exe, for example, right? You know, ServiceNow is a, a SaaS-based company. There is no local footprint on the customer's infrastructure. So it's hard to discover SaaS using traditional discovery techniques. So the approach that we use with our SaaS license management capability is, is what we call software spend detection. Um, so it's really a follow-the-money approach. As I said, in an ideal world, spend on SaaS applications is going through central procurement and the SAM team have visibility. But in the real world, a lot of that spend is going on a credit card and the SAM team, central procurement, don't have visibility. And we are anticipating, and we're already seeing this, but a, a surge, an increase in that over recent months due to COVID-19 because all of a sudden an organization's workforce has to be productive working from home. So and and to struggle to keep the lights on for that organization means they're not always going to follow the process. So if there was a process in place for all spend to go through procurement, that may not have been followed in recent months. It's probably how I would put it. Um, so, so I think there's an increased focus or need for, for organizations to try and understand this. So our approach to that is, is software spend detection. So what that means is we ingest data, we ingest financial data, from both accounts payable from, so from a central procurement system but also from expense systems like concur and, and, and things like that and then there's a machine learning platform capability which analyzes those financial transactions and identifies software spend and it also flags that software first as software and then identifies what the application is and at the time where we're speaking about this the library of SaaS applications that we can recognize with that is about 65,000 SaaS applications. Oh, so that's wow. how we, yeah. So it's a very, and that number's growing all the time because 
the more customers we, we have using that capability, the more data we're analyzing, um, that we're better to increase and, and increase the number of recognized applications, improve those machine learning models. Um, so it'll, it'll continue to grow. Um, so that's how we, we identify the spend and, and identify the SaaS applications that are being spent, irrespective of if it went through procurement or through a credit card. The other thing we do as well as identifying is classify it. So every SaaS application we recognize gets classified according to the G2 classification system. So all that means is it will identify, you know, if we find Zoom spend, then that's video conferencing. If we find WebEx, that's video conferencing. If we find Marketo, that's a marketing platform. So it'll categorize um, the, the, the different SaaS applications. And what that enables you to do then is identify areas where you've got overlapping spend. So you can start asking questions like, well, why do we have 10 different, you know, across the whole organization, why do we have 10 different video conferencing applications? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, yeah. that, that is, is key. I think it's something I've experienced myself in previous you know, roles and something that, that we talk about a lot is that um, duplication in SaaS, you know, WebEx and teams and zoom and go to meeting and you know they all to a large extent do the same thing um so, so it's one thing for an organization to to know that they've got them but you you need to sort of do that that next step of you know item need to say right you know why why do we need these who's using them um and I, I suppose there are two different things aren't there that there's either the same people are using multiple apps for the same thing. That's one problem. Or different silos in your organization are using different products for the same thing, which is a, you know, a different problem, but still a problem. Um, and I think, you know, however, however they do it, I think it's important that categorization of yeah, you know, so I suppose analysing your data and saying, look, why have, like you say, why have we got so many in this one category? Uh, and then, I guess the question for each company then is, what is your process? You know, once ITAM have identified these multiple cloud storage products, for example, you know, do they just email a report to someone and and hope something gets done with it? Or ITAM empowered to to make some changes do you go and work with the internal stakeholders you know find out who bought them and, and try and consolidate them down i, I guess there's a, there's a whole sort of next step even once you you've got that information absolutely there are yeah there are lots of possible stats i think but the, the first thing is is having visibility right yeah. um and, and having that breakdown of here's all the applications that that you know, this organization is spending money with. Here are the ones that are managed. You know, the SAM team have got visibility. That spend is going through central procurement. Here's what's not managed. And then putting measures in place to address those, whether that is reaching out to those people, individuals, departments, business units, and saying, right, switch off that monthly subscription on your credit card we're going to bring that under the umbrella of central procurement where we have a, a volume agreement an enterprise agreement in place with our preferred vendor for that category of software um, so you can start addressing it that way start rationalizing the estate down or ultimately just understanding well if, if there is a need for multiple you know products that effectively do the same thing 
for whatever reason, then at least you're consolidating that down as, as much as you can. So at least you are then leveraging volume licensing. So you know, might, you might have three different video conferencing platforms, but that's fine if they're all through central procurement and you are getting the best discount level because you're buying centrally right so it's, it's like the old you know kind of 10 15 years ago we were talking about decentralized procurement and the impact it has on volume licensing this is really no different it's just the the, the models have changed and there are more buyers within the organization um, but what you need to do is, is have that visibility and then whatever process you have in place to rationalize it down you need to automate that process and that's the other thing that service now we, we don't like manual Manual means maybe. Um, so we like to automate. We have a workflow engine. So whatever process is in place to address that, that workflow engine will enforce and, and automate that process to make sure the outcomes are realized. And, and remember, this is only based on the analysis of financial data. So the other aspect to SaaS management, of course, is, is understanding the consumption. And you're not going to get that from looking at the financial transactions. So the way that we, we plug into those SaaS applications themselves so that we can understand the usage is, is with our API integrations. So we have out-of-the-box integrations into the most prevalent, ubiquitous SaaS applications out there. So we've got out-of-the-box integrations to Office 365, Adobe Creative Cloud, Salesforce Box, Dropbox, DocuSign, Google G Suite. Uh, WebEx, Jira Cloud, uh, and so on. And we are continuing to add to that list of integrations. And we also give our customers the ability to build their own integrations um, because, you know, we acknowledge at ServiceNow we're not going to build an integration into all 65,000 SaaS applications we recognize um, because, well, A, that would be kind of pointless, but B, different companies will have different investment levels with, with different applications. So we are focusing on the most common high spend, high risk applications, but we also give customers the ability to build their own integration. So we use our low code, no code framework, which allows customers to basically follow a template and build their own integration. And you asked me right at the start around, you know, what the impact of, of COVID was on, on me, you know, from the perspective of my day job at ServiceNow going and talking to customers, but also the impact as a ServiceNow employee. Um, so we, we felt this shift ourselves. I mean, I was already working from home quite a bit, um, but I certainly haven't done any travel since March. So everything is now remote working and ServiceNow has invested in collaborative tools to help me do my job whilst I'm working from home. And we started using, uh, we, we, since we lost the ability to go and spend time on site with customers, we used to run workshops and we used to use whiteboarding activities to, to run those workshops. So we invested a few months ago in a, in a SaaS delivered um, whiteboarding capability, uh, whiteboarding application. And they provided us with a three month trial and they gave that to about four and a half thousand ServiceNow employees to use to, so that we could conduct remote workshops. And that three month trial ended in July and the ServiceNow team internally that runs software asset management, we of course use SamPro, or they of course use SamPro. So they built their own license connection because this whiteboarding application wasn't one of our out of the box integrations. We use this feature to build our own connection to that, pulled down the consumption data, and we realized that of the 4,500 employees we gave access to that software, only about 1,200 were using it. So when we, at the end of that trial period, if we just renewed based on that number, we would have spent an extra $740,000 annually for, wow. for users that weren't using software. So we're, we are using our own software to, to optimize in the same way that, of course, our customers can. 
I mean that that's a, a compelling message for uh, for, for SaaS management. You know, that's a big number, um, and I think it's interesting the the idea of you know using a, a tool, um, you know, whichever one it might be, to to, to find that information. Because I I would imagine if you'd have sent out an email to those four and a half thousand people and said. You know, trials coming to an end. Can you just let us know? Do you need it? Have you used it? Should we buy you a license? You know, based on years of experience of similar things, you know, probably ninety odd percent of people would have gone, "Yeah, I need it." Yeah, of course, you know, the, yeah, because yeah. obviously, I know I've not used it for the last three months, but I definitely will use it next week. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be integral to me next week, so I can't. It's a little bit like project and Visio. Uh, you know, I've I've got to have it. You know, I, I'm I'm a manager. Got to have projects. Never, you never quite know when I'll need it. So it, it, I suppose using that, you know, that sort of data-driven decisions of, you know, we're not going to ask you if you need it. We we can see that you don't. Um, that, that's a a really really interesting way of doing it and. And being able to put a big number against it always helps. Well, I, I agree, and and I think that that's the key. It it, it doesn't matter really um, how the software is is being consumed, right? I mean, I, the example I just gave was was a SaaS, a pure SaaS example where you're you're consuming that software through a browser, and we built a connection so we could understand the usage of that application leveraging this capability but the example you just gave is still it's still relevant you know customers are still using locally installed software on their end user devices and they want to optimize in the same way so you know through this conversation we've talked about engineering applications we've talked about SaaS, we've talked about on-premises locally installed software whether that's in a data center whether that's on a, on a desktop the the idea is still the same you you want to optimize you want to only spend money where you need to spend money and you want to reduce costs where you can and what what i think that ServiceNow do really well is we help our customers to do all of that all of those optimizations and having that data to to, to, to make those decisions in one place and the, the only reason we're able to do that is because we at the heart of our technology at the heart of ServiceNow's technology is, is a cmdb and all the data whether that's plugging into a SaaS application, whether that's ingesting inventory from a client management system like SCCM, whether that's using ServiceNow Discovery to bring in inventory from the data center, whether that's on-premises, whether that's in the cloud, all that data goes into the same place. And then the same platform is able to analyze and automate. So whether if we are switching off subscriptions because, uh, the, from a SaaS application because it's not being used, we have a workflow to do that. It will automatically switch off the subscription. If that's uninstalling Project or Visio because it hasn't been used for the last three months, we have a workflow that does that. If that's an engineering application where you have um, concurrent licenses and you want to optimize with a workflow, we can do that. So it's the same engine, if you like, that sits underneath our capability that allows customers to automate those outcomes. And I think I think we are unique in that versus kind of the other solutions if you like in the market which probably can do all of that but do that across four or five different products each with their own database each with their own way of, of um, you know kind of automating or not automating that's interesting i mean yeah you know the 
automation is, is certainly the the way forward. Um, I think, you know, in my my world of Microsoft licensing, um, you know, remote uh, r- robotic process automation is becoming a big thing in terms of, you know, companies doing things that interact with Microsoft software. Um, in a robotic you know, automated fashion and other vendors too but equally i think the the automation of of processes you know things that maybe itam professionals have been doing themselves one way or another for you know, the last 10 15 years finding ways to uh, to get a computer to do them for you you know that that is um the way forward because there's you know, I don't think there's anyone out there listening who who wouldn't agree that there's you know that there's probably there's more work than there is time. So anything that you can do to automate certain things and give you more time to focus on the you know the the heart you know the the more important things, the more strategic things. Uh, that that's always always going to be good, um, and and it's certainly something. That, that I think we're we're seeing more attention being paid to when people are looking at tools and services. You know what what level of, of automation does it um, does it offer the the item professional? Um, yeah, I fully I fully agree. I think I think you're right. I mean, more and more customers that I speak to ask about automation. I'm seeing it on more and more RFPs, RFIs. You know, in terms of questions, what level of automation do you offer? And and at the heart of of you know our responses is always we talk about our workflows um, within software asset management. But actually, it goes way back beyond um, and before software asset management. When when the founder of ServiceNow, Fred Luddy, founded the company. I think it was 2004. You know, long before I joined, it was built on. It was based on a, a simple premise, and that was to, if automatically or effectively route work efficiently through the enterprise. That was the basic premise. Um, so that that kind of automation has has been, I guess, a principle, uh, a design feature of every product that ServiceNow have, have released into the marketplace, starting with IT service management, of course, but also including software asset management and also harbor asset management, which is um, which is a capability that we're introducing. Um, our HAM Pro, harbor asset management professional capability, is is being introduced in Paris, um, which is, is the next release of ServiceNow. Ah, now that is a, a perfect segue into my next question. So uh, I love it when that happens. Uh, you don't have to do those kind of awkward tra- transitions. It just flows smoothly through. I like it. Um, so yes, yeah, so, so hard asset management is, is something which, I mean, I, you know, I think some people might disagree with me, but I would say, you know, maybe over the last few years uh, has been seen as, less important than than software asset management particularly SaaS software uh, public cloud all these things have been taking the attention and maybe hardware asset management has been a bit you know we'll get to it when we get to it kind of thing um i'm sure that doesn't apply to everyone but i i would say that's been my impression you know of of the itab industry one thing that I think everyone would agree with is since COVID nineteen, the the focus has massively swung back to hardware. 
where you know people organizations all of a sudden you've got you know hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people that were working in offices now they're all working at home and they need laptops monitors mice tablets phones all these kind of things um you know and there's a you know how do you get them how do you get them out there how do you monitor them how do you manage them how do you track them how do you make sure that they all come back you know when you need them to etc so so I, I think um this is kind of i i would i would say maybe the you know the the, the time for, for hardware asset management to to, to become uh, a, a fully fledged focus for, for most people so it's um it's interesting that, that you've got ham coming up in your, your your next release um i mean it'd be interesting to, to to kind of understand as much as you can share as to you know why ham why now and um, you know some of the things that um that, that you're looking to help people with yeah sure i'll try try my best to do that so yeah quite right we our hover asset management capability is 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 online in paris um so you can actually go to our doc site docs.servicenow.com and and you can read about all the online literature for Paris is now up so you can read the release notes and, and see some of those capabilities and I guess I should just start with a, a bit of a clarification um, so the ability to manage your IT assets your hardware and your software assets has been in ServiceNow's product for, for several years there's an asset module an asset management module which is part of IT service management and that gave customers the ability to track their IT assets, whether that's hardware assets and software assets through their entire life cycle. So what we did to augment that, to, to kind of provide more capability and automation and, and content libraries, was we developed a, a separate ITAM BU, ITAM business unit, if you like, within ServiceNow. And that's when we launched SAM Pro, SAM Professional. So SAM Pro basically builds on top of the already existing asset management capability that was part of the platform with harbor asset management we're doing the same thing but for hardware so the ability to track your hardware assets has been in service now for several years what we're actually bringing to market in paris is an extension of those capabilities um, so specifically it's things like hardware model normalization so in the same way customers want to normalize their software their discovered software so they've got one version of the truth they also want to do that with their hardware models so you know the switches the routers the devices whatever they may be they want to normalize that data because as you know different discovery tools different inventory sources and, and even different products from the same publisher will all describe themselves in, in a slightly different way so one of the areas of, of, of capability in hardware asset management is is the hardware model normalization and then there's things like the life the life cycle data so you know um the 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 dates if you like um around the the life cycle for those hardware assets um automatically populating that information in the context of, of the hardware assets themselves these are some of the features that we're introducing with hardware asset management in paris but as i say that the basic capability to manage your assets has been in the product for a long time hopefully that made sense i'm with you yeah that, that makes a lot of sense um so so yeah i mean it will be interesting to see the how hardware asset management 
kind of you know where does it go from here because uh, we're definitely seeing more interest in it from you know f- from our, our readers and listeners and questions that we're getting um and you know it, it just seems that, you know, a basic level that there's so much more hardware around all of a sudden you know all these extra laptops and things um and you know when people if when people start transitioning back into offices at least part of the time you know that there's considerations around you know if they've got a desktop in the office and now you've given them a laptop do they still need both you know can they be maybe repurposed uh, have all the laptops that you've bought you know do you if you bought 10,000 or however many do you still know where they all are um, you know they're going to need there's going to be a whole extra set of things that need repairing upgrading replacing um so you know hardware asset management isn't my forte at all i am very much a software person but i i've been doing some, some reading and, and some researching around the ham with relation to to, to covid19 and it definitely seems like there's a a sort of uh, variety of of um, things that will come out of this you know that, that mean itam needs to either do things it hasn't been doing before or um you know, do more of, of what they've been doing so they will need you know stronger processes and automation and that kind of thing so it, it's oh, yeah I, I couldn't agree more Rich. i think and, and i think i agree with you in terms of i think the focus for, for certainly for, for recent years has, has probably been more leaning towards focusing on software in terms of you know managing the software assets optimizing software assets but that requirement to do the same with hardware has always been there but just hasn't had maybe the same focus and i think uh, as we just discussed i think the impact of COVID is, is brought into sharp focus a few areas and one of them certainly is, is, is harbour asset management because in the same way that you know organisations are scrambling and, and rapidly increasing their spend in SaaS let's say to keep the lights on well everything that I just said the same is true for hardware I mean I've, I've heard and I'm certainly not going to name names but I've heard lots of stories from lots of customers of, of you know just not quite panic buying but but investing in large numbers of desktops laptops whatever they could get their hand on hands on and then shipping those to their employees so that they could you know be be productive from home and of course in an ideal world the the it asset management the hardware asset management processes would have been followed but you and i probably both know that that might not have been the case (laughs) so i think i think it has brought it into sharp focus um and I, i do think it's it's something that that, you know, customers are going to certainly be be looking at in, in perhaps with a bit more scrutiny than they have been in recent years. But for me, that again, it's the same principle. It's having visibility and having visibility in one place, having a single system of record. Because I meet so many customers who talk to me about, well, we've got a hardware team and a software team. So it's quite common to have separate teams. But ideally, you want everybody singing from the same hymn sheet because the software that's running on premises is running on the hardware that's off premises right so you want to have a single version of the truth and ultimately you want to have the same it asset management processes across both software and hardware even if the the, the teams themselves you know on on, on reporting up to the same structure yeah totally uh, and you know, and that ties in with this messaging of you know working with internal stakeholders that, that we we talk about and we see across the board really that 
you know, maybe in a lot of organisations, ITAM or SAM or HAM, you know, however it's structured, uh, you know, maybe they've been a bit siloed. You know, uh, they do their own thing and uh, and it is what it is. Um, you know, we talk a lot about how ITAM needs to work with security. ITAM needs to work with finance. But you, you make a great point there that if, if your ITAM function isn't one entity, if you've got you know software and hardware, you, you know that's probably the first place to start. You know, you, you need to forge those links and take what you can from them to help you, and, and equally give what you can to them to help them, because it, it will, you know, it, it builds up and and benefits everyone. Oh, I fully agree. And, and, you know, obviously you and I have been, been speaking, you know, about, about IT asset management and hardware and software asset management. And in that context, you know, having everything on one platform has, has obvious benefits, but you can absolutely expand that conversation into other areas because ITAM touches so many other parts of the business. Um, so security, as you just mentioned, is a really good example. Um, if the SAM team has visibility has has the information around lifecycle data for the deployed software so what i mean by that is when when the software goes end of life when it goes end of support when it goes end of extended support for example that information is obviously useful for the sam team of course they can plan their upgrades and identify you know software that perhaps shouldn't be installed so they can plan to remove it and so on but that information is is as important to the security team because when a piece of software goes end of life it's no longer supported by the vendor if it's no longer supported by the vendor it's no longer patched if it's no longer patched it's it's susceptible to vulnerabilities so the security team absolutely want to know about that um, so getting that information over to the security team is really important and of course it's much easier to do that if you're security team is using the same platform is using the same cmdb as the item team so absolutely you know at service now we have what we call better together use cases which are really cross-platform use cases between traditionally disparate functions within it so we have better together use cases between itam and it service management around identifying the impact of change management on license costs. We have a better together use case between ITAM and security operations, which is exactly what I've just described, providing that, that vulnerability information, but also um, providing that vulnerability response um, for this security team. We've got better together use cases between ITAM and HR, because when you onboard or offboard employees, obviously you need to involve IT asset management. Um, and then finally, we've got better together use cases with IT business management. So, you know, for the engineering, the architects who, who describe the, the, the environment, the organization in terms of business services and application services, they want to be able to understand how those business and application services are comprised in the context of the hardware and software models that make up those services. And it's much easier to do that if your business service, your application services, and your software models are all in the same database, which is exactly where they are with, with our CMDB. So yeah, I, I fully agree, and, and probably a good, a good point to, 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 you know, as we kind of draw the conversation to a conclusion, IT asset management as a discipline in itself is, is really important for organizations to be able to understand their risk and optimize their spend. But it's equally um, important to be able to put IT asset management into the context of other IT functions in the organization. And that's something that, of course, we, we significantly invest engineering and development effort into in our products. At. 
100% agree with that. I, I think that's uh, quite a nice kind of final thought almost um, that, yeah, you know, ITAM is important and may, maybe sometimes ITAM needs to needs to be better at understanding, recognising its own importance within the business um, and then communicating that out to, to the various stakeholders. And, you know, as we said towards the beginning, you know, now is probably you know, a great opportunity to do that while things are, are in flux, things have changed. It's, it's a great opportunity to... Um, you know, maybe strike up some conversations with, with stakeholders that, that weren't there before, um, you know, find new ways of presenting your data to new people, all, all those kind of things. Um, so I think, you know, I mean, at, at the moment, 2020, you know, it, it's hard work for everyone. It, it's strange and it's difficult, but I, I think going forwards, it, it can be, um, you know, s surprisingly positive for ITAM, I think, you know, that there's a, a lot of moving parts, you know, your SAS, your IAS, your HAM, uh, you know, internal stakeholder management, um, you know, lo looking at, at uh, reducing cost, audits, there's all these different bits, but if you can, if you can kind of pull them together and, um, uh, and align them with business objectives, I think lots of ITAM teams uh, across different sectors you know, can, can kind of come out of this um, stronger than they went into it, um, you know, w with the right, you know, uh, right people, the right processes and the right tools. Um, you know, it's kind of what it all comes down to. Um, so I, I think we've, we've touched on several key areas there. So hopefully, you know, those of you listening um, uh, have found this useful in, in terms of, you know, what service now we're up to, also that, that kind of wider industry picture of, of things to, to think about things to get started back in the office uh, I've I've had a, a great time I, I've properly enjoyed it um, so so thank you very much Kieran for, for your time and your insights no you're welcome Rich it's been a, been a pleasure to talk to you yeah um, enjoyed it and I, I fully agree with you I think I think now's a, a good time to be a, a, an item uh, in the item space to be perfectly honest yeah, and yeah, I think I think that's a, a positive note to leave it on. That you know, as as busy as, as we all are, as as difficult as things are, you know, it, it's um, you know, there, there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel, and it is ultimately you know a, a positive thing uh, when we get to the end of it. Um, so yeah, so, so like I say, thank you very much. I, I'm already thinking of uh, you know questions for the next one um so i'm sure we will we will speak again in the future uh, but as i say thank you very much for your for your time and uh, yeah have a, a great rest of your day thank you everyone for listening and i will see you all on the next one see you later